Right, the reading this morning is from the book of Colossians, and uh, that is on page 1182. It starts at the bottom on under the heading Paul's Labour for the Church, and it's verses 24 to 29. So that's 1182. Now I rejoice in what I am suffering for you, and I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, which is the church. I have become its servant by the commission God gave me to present to you the word of God in its fullness, the mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the Lord's people. To them God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Here is the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom, so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. To this end, I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. Great. Well, it's it's really it's lovely to see you this morning. A very very warm welcome to you, uh, to all of you, especially if you're visiting. It's lovely to see you, and um, it's great, isn't it, this morning just to be together, uh, to come under God's word together. And as, as Jimmy said, um, we are working our way through Colossians. Um, so please do keep your Bibles open at that passage that was read for us by Nick. And uh, we will be looking at that together. Just a couple of things to say. Um, one is that you, you, on your tables you have a, a sermon handout if you find that helpful to follow along. Um, and just on the back there, there is a, 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 some, um, a space for kind of thoughts, comments, prayer points. That's because at the end of the sermon we have a time for discussion. So we have a time where we can come together, talk about what has been said and... Um, then uh, there's an opportunity to um, uh, ask questions or to throw in thoughts or comments that might be helpful for everybody to hear. So that might just you know, help you to listen slightly differently. You might want to just jot something down that you then want to say later on. But um, before we get going, why don't we pray again uh, and ask God to help us. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your word We do uh, thank you um, that in it you have shown us the amazing news that we've sung about this morning, that you gave your son to us, that he died for us and has made us spotless and holy in your sight. Father, we rejoice in uh, that good news this morning. And we pray, Father, that as we hear you speak to us, that we may know it more Father, help us to uh, see Christ more clearly this morning. Father, we do ask for the, for the children that have gone out. We thank you for them. Uh, we pray uh, that those teaching would do so faithfully and clearly. And we pray for all the children uh, here in this church, that they would come to know Jesus for themselves. Father, for all of us here uh, this morning, we pray Uh, that your spirit would help us, uh, that your spirit would open the eyes of our hearts, that we may know and love Jesus Christ 
more and more. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, Joseph was a Maasai warrior. That is, he was part of a, an African Maasai, Maasai people with, with a particular responsibility for looking after protecting livestock. And one day, Joseph was walking along the road in Africa when he, he met someone who told him the good news of Jesus Christ. And there and then, Joseph came to Christ as his Lord and his Saviour. And he was filled with excitement and joy. And, and the first thing he wanted to do was return to his village and share the good news with the members of his local tribe. So he did just that. He went back, uh, going from door to door, telling everyone about the cross, about salvation that Jesus offered. But to his amazement, the, the villagers didn't care. And more than that, they became violent. So the men of the village, they seized Joseph, they, they held him to the ground, and they beat him with strands of barbed wire. And then he was dragged from the village and left to die alone in a bush. Now somehow he, he managed to crawl to a waterhole and after days of kind of drifting in and out of consciousness, he found the strength uh, to get up. As he did, he thought about what had happened. So he thought about how, how people he, that he had known all of his life had turned on him. So he thought, well, I, I must have told the story wrong. I, 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 must have, I must have left something out. So he rehearsed the message that he first heard, and then he decided to go back and share his faith again. So there he, he was. He limped into the circle of huts, and he, he began to proclaim Jesus Christ. He died for you, so that you might find forgiveness and know the living God. He pleaded with them. Yet again, he was grabbed and beaten and left to die. Now, to have survived the first beating was amazing, but to live through the second was a miracle. But, again, days later, Joseph woke up kind of in the wilderness and he was determined again to go back. So he did. He returned to the small village. And this time, they attacked him before he had the chance to open his mouth. As they flogged him for the third time, probably the last, he spoke to them again of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, before he, he passed out, the last thing he saw was that the people around him, the people who were beating him, began to weep. This time, he awoke in his own bed because the ones who had beaten him were now trying to save his life. The ones who had beaten him had come to know Christ for themselves. Now, that's, that's a true story, that those, those words, they're not my words, they're the words from a man called Michael Card, who tells the story of Joseph, having heard it from Joseph himself. 
And as, as I read that, I, I guess we feel, don't we, we, we kind of feel the pain of that guy. And we applaud his boldness. And yet we feel a distance from it. We, we would kind of never really expect that kind of persecution here in, in Camborne uh, or Papworth. And I think that's right. I, I think in today's culture in the UK, at this time, it's unlikely, perhaps, that we would be treated as Joseph was. But I read you this story because it's a very clear example of what it means to serve the gospel. That's what we saw last week. So at the very end of the passage uh, that, uh, uh, that we had last week, Paul has become a servant of the gospel. So he's telling us that for those who keep trusting, Christ's death uh, has, has made us perfect in God's sight. And he goes on the second half of verse 23. He says, This is the gospel that you heard and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven and of which I, Paul, have become a servant. Paul is a servant of the gospel. And what we see in the verses that we have here this week is what that means. What does it look like to serve the gospel? Now, strikingly, what we see is that it is not all that different from the story of Joseph. Now, I don't know what you, what you think of when you consider serving the gospel in, in your local community or, or serving the gospel in church here in some way. So often, I, I guess we can think that, you know, if we put ourselves out there, we'll gain something. You know, status or appreciation or thanks. That, that somehow we'll, we'll, we'll feel good about ourselves. But from these verses, the reality is that serving the gospel is anything but about us. It means weakness and struggling and suffering. And as Paul said, so even if we don't go through exactly the same thing as him, we'll have a much clearer idea of what it means to serve in the church now that's going to be useful for us, but I don't think it's the main reason Paul is telling us about his experience. We will see this very clearly next week, that Paul's purpose in telling us about his experience of serving is that we would keep trusting Christ. Yeah, he's written this letter, and as we've worked through it, we've seen how he's encouraging them to live lives for Christ, fully pleasing to him, how they have this real relationship with a very big Jesus who made and sustains all things, who came as a man who died for them, and who they now need to keep trusting. And I guess it would be very easy, wouldn't it, for, for, for this Colossian church kind of huddled in a house as they most likely would have been, to hear these things, yes, Jesus is big, yes, we need to keep trusting him, to hear this letter read, and then they kind of nod their heads, and then they leave, and they're taken in by all the false ideas around and so what Paul does here is he then shares how hard it has been for him to make Christ known. Because as we see that, we're left thinking, do you know what, this must be true. Christ must be real. 
Yet isn't that what you see with someone like Joseph? So as you hear that story, you think to yourself, look, this guy, for this guy to put himself through that, to go back to his tribe, to be beaten with barbed wire, and to go back again and again, Christ must be real. Christ really is as big as Paul says. Never mind all the other things that I can live for, Christ really is the way on. And as we see the way Paul serves the gospel, that should compel us then to keep serving, keep trusting Christ. So, what exactly do we see? Well, three things. The first is a servant who suffers. A servant who suffers. That's the first thing we see this morning. A servant who suffers. To be a servant of the gospel is not easy. It means suffering. That's the first thing Paul says. Just have a look at verse 24. He says, Now I rejoice in what I am suffering for you. You see, his, his suffering is not meaningless. It is for this church, for you. It is a way of serving them. The two go together. Paul is a servant who suffers. And the way that works is the fact that Paul's suffering is much bigger than himself. It is tied to Christ. So have a look at verse 24 again. It says, Now I rejoice in to Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, which is the church. That Paul is kind of putting himself as forward as some kind of saviour uh, quite enough. So Paul is making up for what is lacking. How Christ's suffering, his death on the cross, is enough to bring us to God. Christ's suffering itself. So what is lacking then? Well, given the context here, uh, and I think we'll assess this, but I, I think how the NIV puts it here is right. Just, just what is still lacking in regard. You see, what is lacking for the church is what they have seen or what they haven't seen, what they don't know of Christ's afflictions. So Paul's suffering of Christ, something of what Christ went through for them, they get him. That's how he suffers for them. Now, as this guy goes into his village relentlessly and he suffers unjustly, the people see something, they see a small picture of what Christ went through, of Christ. And that would have certainly been the case humiliated as he takes Christ to people. In 2 Corinthians, he, for the sake of the gospel. As he writes this letter, he's in prison, most likely facing execution. And what he, the suffering of Christ becomes clear. Now, we'll see the significance of that as we go on. It does not mean that something has gone wrong. In that story, I don't know if you caught it, but, but, but following the first time that Joseph was rejected, I've done something wrong. I must have done something wrong. We either think we've done something wrong, or 
suffering is the, is, is the time where you're most likely to think that, when we're kind of clutching it, so we're going to move on from the gospel itself. I'm sure we've even seen people who've received it together because they're not receiving their happiness right now. So they're mum Christian here. That's exactly what you think all the time. That because there's so much suffering, that is not what Paul says. His suffering doesn't mean there's something wrong with the God. His suffering helps us. And so it's no surprise, is it, his attitude to see how he approaches it in verse 24. Do you see the very first thing he says? Now I I rejoice in what I am suffering. Because it's doing something, it's showing Christ, it's serving the gospel. And so it is carrying out God's plan for the servant who fulfills God's plan. A servant who this morning, a servant who fulfills God's plan. So some, someone who just kind of enjoys pain. It's more to do with the fact that there's a unique role in it. Just have a look at verse 25. The church's servant, by the commission God gave me to present to you, has been given this job to take the word of God to the church, to present it to them. It means that Paul necessarily goes around preaching the whole of the, whole of the Bible. It is clear the word of God in its fullness is a mystery. Just have a look. See how he carries on, verse 26. The mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but mystery is, is not something that we can kind of never work out or we need to find clues, but has now been revealed to God's people. And that mystery is the word of God in its fullness. Have a look at verse 27. To them, God's mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of man. Not not just that the Jews knows, but the Jews, that they would know this relationship with Christ. And specifically, Christ. Now, we, we've, seen that, we've seen that kind of idea of hope before in Colossians, haven't we? It's people. So for those who trust Christ now, it, it, it's like him now. We know him now. And yet this is just the beginning. The day when his people will be with him as his perfect. So we have Christ in us now. He's joined to us now, but with a certain hope. That is God's ultimate plan. Not just that people would turn to Christ, but they would keep trusting him in a new creation in glory. Is the one who is being used to fulfill it. So, so he is taking Christ to the church and he is presenting people to people with the word of God in its fullness. He's presenting them with this relationship. Know it for themselves and keep trusting it themselves. So just think again about, about Joseph, you know, of Christ's suffering, but they also see someone who does not any longer live for this world of hope, who's able to rejoice in their suffering, they see someone who knows the glorious riches of Christ, Christ, and as we see that in Paul, then we, we think, look, this life than just this. Trusting, who really does live in us, who really does offer us certain hope. Ideas around, you know, as we head into chapter two, we'll see these more clearly that people around the church will, you know, or, or, or kind of a bunch of rules. 
And, and you can see, can't you, that the next day, there's, there's nothing. And it will make you feel organised. They don't offer you anything. These things are hollow. Glorious riches now and glorious riches to come. There is the hope of glory. But that is not enough. So to truly present Christ Christ to these people. This is, the, this is the last thing we see this morning. A ser- last thing we see, a servant who proclaims a new creation through Christ. Then what Paul does is verse 28. He is the one we proclaim, so Christ is the wisdom, so that we may present everyone. Paul proclaims Christ with the purpose as in mind there, is the day when people stand before the throne of God. When he stands there before the throne of God, there will be people beside him. Almost as if he's kind of giving them away to... to you know, he proclaims Christ so that that man going until they're there in the end, before the, the bride. And so what he does is he plows everything he has into, I strenuously contend with all the energy. He wants people there at that end. He knows God's plan is coming to fulfilment and is going somewhere, either to that new creation or to an eternity in hell. So he, that's what admonishing means, to admonish in verse 28, to warn. So he warns them about the false ideas around. They will take you captive, but it's not the way. Don't, don't go without the glorious riches of hope found in Christ because he wants everyone in this church to be there on the wedding day. Is what does that? So yes, suffering provides a picture of Christ, doesn't it? I mean, he wouldn't have suffered if he didn't proclaim, but if he just suffered, that's not going to say anything. Yeah, that is why everything we do in this church is as mature in Christ. That is what will keep us trusting in Christ. To proclaim Jesus is not easy. Yeah, it's a fight. And with Joseph, didn't we? He, it wasn't easy for him to go and tell his village about Christ. He had to strenuously contend and keep going and keep going. Do that. Now, by the time we get to chapter 3, verse 2 here as a church, almost identically, that we are to teach and warn. But for now, the big lesson for us, if Paul is, then every single one of us needs to listen to his gospel. So as we look at the Bible together, whether that be, you know, we, we, just, we meet up for a coffee and open it up together, perhaps in home group or here on a Sunday, we need to listen to the gospel. We can never have it enough. We need to turn from all the voices in our culture and turn to the riches of Christ again and again, so that we might be presented fully mature in him. See, Paul's service of the gospel shows us that Christ is, of course, in the way in, but he is also the way on. Let's pray together.
Father, we praise you for uh, the gospel of Christ. We praise you for uh, people like Paul. We praise you for him bringing the gospel to the nations. And we thank you so much uh, that that includes us here today. Father, we ask that you would help us by the power of your spirit to know Christ in us and to know the hope of glory to come. Father, as we dwell upon the gospel, hear the gospel, know the gospel, pray, Father, that we would know that that is where glorious riches are to be found. Save us, we pray, from being captive to hollow and deceptive arguments that sound great, that sound fine, but offer us nothing. Please then, Father, we pray as individuals, as a church, would we keep trusting Christ for your glory. Amen.